Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya June 17th, 2020, from Hawaii over the internet. And we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 21, Instructions by Maharaj Prithu, Text 10. Konvasya Kirtim na shreno chabigno. Yad Vikramochis Tamasesha Bhupaha Lokasapala Upajivanji Kamam Adyapitan Mevada Karma Sudam Kaha. Kaha. Who? Mm. Oh. New. No. But. But. Asya. Asya. King Prithu. King Prithu. Kirtin. Kirtin. Glorious activities. Glorious activities. Na Shinoti. Not does not hear. Does, does not, not hear. hear. Abhigna. Abhigna. Intelligent. Intelligent. Yet. Yet. His. His. Vikrama. Vikrama. Chivalry. Chivalry. Uchistam. Uchistam. Remnants. Asesha Innumerable Bhupaha Kings Lokaha Planets Sapalaha With their demigods Upajivanti Execute livelihood. Execute livelihood. Kamam. Desired objects. Desired objects. api. To date. Up to date. Um. Oh, okay. I'm looking at a different one. So yours is up to that, and mine is to date. <laughs> Must be different editions. Tut. That. May. Unto me. Vada. Please speak. Karma. Activities. Shudham. Auspicious. Muted. Srila Prabhupada's translation and purport. Prithu Maharaj was so great in his activities 
and magnanimous in his method of ruling all the kings and demigods on the various ruling that all the kings and demigods on the various planets still follow in his footsteps. I'm going to read that again. Prithimaraj was so great in his activities and magnanimous in his method of ruling that all the kings and demigods on the various planets still follow in his footsteps. Who is there who will not try to hear about his glorious activities? I wish to hear more and more about Prithimaraj because his activities are so pious and auspicious. Srila Prabhupada's purport. St. Vidura's purpose in hearing about Prithi Maharaj over and over again was to set an example for ordinary kings and executive heads who should all be inclined to hear repeatedly about Prithi Maharaj's activities in order to also be able to rule over their kingdoms or states very faithfully for the peace and prosperity of the people in general. Unfortunately, at the present moment, no one cares to hear about Prithi Maharaj or to follow in his footsteps. Therefore, no nation in the world is either happy or progressive in spiritual understanding, although that is the sole aim and objective of human life. Prithu Maharaj was so great in his activities and magnanimous in his method of ruling that all the kings and demigods on the various planets still follow in his footsteps. Who is there who will not try to hear about his glorious activities? I wish to hear more and more about Prithu Maharaj because his activities are so pious and auspicious. So here Srila Prabhupada is telling us about peace and prosperity. We want peace, and we want prosperity for the people in general, and we want happiness, we want to be happy, and we want to be progressive in our spiritual understanding. Does that all sound good? I think so, yeah? So peace, we'd all like peace. We'd like peace within our countries. We'd like peace between one country and another. We'd like uh, peace internally in our mind. Prosperity, we'd all like to have prosperity. We'd like to have uh, some power and, and influence over our lives. We'd like to have strength and health and vitality. We'd like to have a community that respects us. We'd like to have beauty and, and splendor in our lives. We'd like to have understanding and knowledge. And we'd like to have freedom. Those are the six kinds of prosperity. So we'd all like to have prosperity in our lives. And then we'd all like happiness. We want an inner state of joy. We want a happiness that is expansive, that is comprehensive, uh, that touches upon every area of our life. We definitely want to be happy. And uh, those of us, at least, who've taken up Krishna consciousness, we want to progress in our spiritual understanding. And I, I like that Prabhupada says progressive because spiritual understanding is not static, it's ecstatic. It's it's a dynamic thing. It's not that uh, even Krishna is not static. The residents of Vrindavan are not static. They're always expanding in their spiritual understanding. So all four of these can be achieved. Uh, Vidura is, is intimating with his question here that uh, with the pious and auspicious Shudam, which Prabhupada is expanding 
to peace, prosperity, happiness, and being progressive in spiritual understanding, if we repeatedly hear over and over again about Prithu Maharaj. Now here particularly, the concept is that those who should hear repeatedly about Prithu Maharaj are kings, Bhupaha, Bhupaha, uh, which is a fun word, right? Bhupaha, sounds like. <laughs> you can imagine teaching that Sanskrit word to little children, right? <laughs> and you could have them all dressed up with crowns and walk around going, Bhupaha, Bhupaha, Bhupaha. It's a really fun uh, sounding word, Bhupaha. So the kings and the, uh, the demigods, they particularly benefit from hearing uh, Loka Sapalaha. Loka means the planet, Sapalaha, those who rule the planets. So the Bupaha, the kings of this planet, and Loka Sapalaha, those who rule the other planets, they all benefit from repeated hearing about Marish Prithu. And we'll look at in, in a little bit about why there's this relationship between those sorts of, of, of beings with those roles and hearing about Prithu. So, first of all, we should know what our goals are. Here, Shiva Prabhupada is giving us four goals. And then, we all need a model for how to achieve those goals. Something beyond theoretical or, you know, just philosophical, intellectual understanding. We need some example. We need a model. And then, we need to absorb ourselves in those models so that we can take that model and put it into our own life. And the Shastras are full of such models that we can repeatedly hear about. So we need to know the goals of life, you know. I was uh, speaking a few weeks ago to my grandson-in-law about my, my living situation, which has become a little odd in the, in the pandemic. And we were talking about you know, where I would want to live and what I'd want to do and where I'd want to stay. And at one point he said, uh, so Grandma, you've told me what you don't want, but what do you want? And we talked earlier about Maharaj Prithu where he said to the Lord, okay, this is what I don't want and this is what I want. So we need to know what we want, where we're going, what is our purpose in life. And often when people are asked that sort of question, they're blank. And I found this true with devotees as well. So devotees will say to me, uh, Urmila, please pray for me. And I will always ask, well, what do you want? And many times I get kind of this blank look. Uh, what do I want? What do I want? And they, they often think of something that they think they're supposed to want rather than accessing what they want. And I, I always find that a little sad. Uh, you know, okay, what, what does it say in the scriptures I'm supposed to ask for? Okay, let me, let me say that. <laughs> instead, of, instead of accessing something that's, that's authentic to them. Uh, but you'll find that even people who know what they want often don't know the root or the underpinnings of what they want. So, I mean, one devotee a couple months ago <laughs> said to me, Ramila, would you please pray that I get hundreds of millions of dollars? So that's somebody who, <laughs> they didn't get the blank stare, or they didn't give some 
pat you know, response that wasn't heartfelt. It was a heartfelt response. But, you know, why do you want $100 million? What's underneath that? You know, what's, what's going on? What do you want that money for? You know, or someone will say, you know, I, I want to find a good wife or a good husband. I want to have a child. Or I want to find, you know, an ideal service for myself. Or like recently I've been thinking, okay, where am I going to stay until, you know, until travel opens up. So, you know, we might have some specific thing like that that we say we want. Or even if we're going to talk about a goal in life, you know, someone might say, well, I have a goal to win an Olympic gold medal, or I have, I have a goal to develop a cure for cancer or, or something like that. You know, I mean, they may have some, think of life's goals in that way. Um, we could just stop for a minute, you know, what, what are my goals? What do I want to achieve? It might be a good question to ask ourselves, at least periodic, theoretically, uh, and periodically, not at every moment, but, you know, what are my goals? And, you know, you'll find that a lot of people who work with, like, life coaches or psychology or people who are uh, consultants for corporations and so forth, We'll talk about the importance of knowing what you want, having your own mission statement. And you know of some people who have a mission statement for their work and a mission statement for their family. And so there are people, and, and, and this, is, this is a good idea, I'm not saying, I'm not putting this down. You know, there are people who when they go to work in the morning, they, they have their mission statement on the visor in their car, for example, and as they get in their car to go to work, they read their mission statement for work. When they get in the car to go home, they turn the, it around, and on the back side, they have their mission statement for their family, and they read that before they go home and back to their family to focus, you know, what's my goal, what's, what do I want? But what we'll find that underneath whatever goals we have, whether we want $100 million or uh, whether we want to, I want a devotee here uh, who cooks lunch uh, three times a week for the deities told me, uh, yesterday, she told me yesterday that right now she's taking care of her elderly mother, but after her mother passes away, she'd like to get a place where she had a really first-class professional stove and oven so that she could bake huge cakes for the deities. It, it, it was really funny because she, she said to me, <laughs> she started off the conversation with saying, uh, well, I started the conversation by saying, so where are you staying now? Are you still staying with your mother? And, and then she, she said, but there is something I want, but I think it's too big of a desire. It's too great of a desire. I, I don't know if I can desire that high. And I said, well, Krishna Prema is the highest thing you could possibly desire. So anything else you desire, it's not going to be as high as that. And then she told me how she wanted this huge professional stove and oven. I said, that's not really such a big desire. But underneath all of it, whether we want a professional grade oven or a hundred million dollars, or we want to marry a compatible spouse, or whatever it may be. We want to distribute, you know, a thousand books. We want to buy a house. Underneath are these universal desires that everyone has. We may have different ways we want to go about it. One person, you know, wants a huge oven, and another person wants to have a, some land and a cow, but no matter what the specifics, underneath 
are these basic basic desires ultimately of the soul. And so here Prabhupada's saying peace, one of these desires is peace. That, uh, and, and Krishna talks a lot about peace in the Bhagavad Gita. So what does it mean to be peaceful? It means that we accept that Krishna is in control, that, uh, that there's uh, somebody running the show, right? That one gets shanti. If we know that there's a benevolent person, my, my good friend is running the show and is enjoying everything, all the, all the sacrifices, all the austerities. There's someone who cares about all my sacrifices and austerities there's someone who's appreciative of them, and there's somebody who's managing my life and everyone else's life, and I'm peaceful. Okay. Somebody's running the show, and the person who's running the show knows what they're doing and cares about what I'm doing and cares about the difficulties that I go through to accomplish something, and they're, they're, they're accepting that. And then I become peaceful. I have my best friend. So that's the kind... And, of course, we also want, as I was saying earlier, external peace. We want to live in a society without crime. We want to live in a society... There's all these protests going on right now in the United States about whether or not the police are properly protecting all of the citizens. We want to live in a country where if there is a problem, we can go to the government and the government will take care of us. (laughs) You know, that's, that's peaceful. I'm being taken care of. And I was... Also thinking this morning, you know, this, all of the natural disturbances on the planet, all the, the different weather problems, and, you know, we want to live in a place where we're not in constant fear of, of nature, of, you know, criminals, of our own government, of nature. We want peace within our family, we, within our circle of friends, within our loved ones. Uh, so we want also that kind of external peace. We don't want to be attacked by another country as well. So on all these levels, internal and external, we want, we want freedom from anxiety. And then, as I said, we want prosperity. And each of us may have a certain flavor of prosperity that we want. Right? We, some of us may particularly like the, the prosperity of Aishwarya, which can mean just uh, wealth, you know, gold and silver and jewels and, and things like that, land and or it can also mean having being an Ishwara, having some controlling power. Some of us like the prosperity of virya, of, of great health and potency and strength. And some of us like the prosperity of Sri, to be surrounded with beauty, to have beautiful art and sculptures and, and gardens, and to be maybe a charismatic leader. Some of us like the wealth of vairagya, freedom, that we have a lot of autonomy and freedom in our lives. Some of us like the prosperity of wisdom, Right? And some of us like the price. We're very curious people, perhaps. Maybe we have, a, maybe our house looks like an extension of the library. And some of us like the, um, yes, there you are with the books behind you. And some of us like the prosperity of Yeshaha, where uh, people respect us, as being uh, spoken about here, right? Kirtin, the Pritchard Marsh has Kirtin. So some of us like that kind of prosperity where we have a community of people who like us and respect us. So all of us want to be prosperous, and for some of us, certain kinds of these types of prosperities are more important than others. 
you know, for some people, having a community that respects them is not very important. They're introverts. And, I mean, I know one devotee that told me that being on lockdown in the pandemic was basically the way his life always was, that he always lived alone out in the woods and hardly ever went anywhere and just didn't affect him at all. He didn't care about community. So, you know, some people care more about different things than others. But however we define prosperity, we want a life that's prosperous, that's rich. We want a rich life. We want our life to be full of, of richness. And we want happiness. Ananda Maya Biasat. We all want to be happy. We all want to be happy. I mean, it, it's good to remember these goals. Yes? Just like you'll commonly hear uh, if if uh, if people are arguing about something and it doesn't seem to be resolved and or resolvable, and the question will be asked, do you, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And to remember, you know, my goal is happiness. Srila Prabhupada was asked in South America one time, what is the purpose of life? He said, the purpose of life is ananda. The purpose of life is to be happy. So if we're peaceful and our life is rich but we're not happy, what is the point? You know, what is the point? If I have whatever kind of richness I want, whether it's fame or whether it's community or whether it's knowledge or whether it's health and vigor, but I'm miserable inside. You know, even if I'm peaceful, but I'm just like, it's kind of dull peace. Like, okay, I'm just peaceful. <laughs> I mean, Krishna says we can't have happiness without peace. He said peace is a prerequisite for happiness. But he didn't say if you have peace, you'll necessarily also be happy. Happy is a, is a very positive and expansive state. Happiness requires some variety. Prez Prabhupada would often say variety is the mother of enjoyment. That there's variety in our life. There's, there's things in our life that, that um, spark us with newness and wonder. And then we also want, we also, uh, our goal of life ultimately is what Prabhupada says here, progressive spiritual understanding. That we are growing in our spiritual life. And ultimately, in the ultimate issue, peace, prosperity, and happiness cannot really exist without progressive spiritual understanding as well. I mean, there's a way, materially, that we could say people could be peaceful, prosperous, and happy, materially, without progressive spiritual understanding. To some extent, in some ways. But because we are souls, just having peace, prosperity, and happiness on the bodily and mental platform is not going to really satisfy us. The only thing that's going to make us really satisfied is if we're progressing and understanding ourselves and we have relationship with the Lord. And I find it fascinating that even in a non-religious, from a non-religious viewpoint, a secular society, people will understand that some kind of spirituality has to exist. Now, they may define spirituality in a little bit of an odd way so that it can encompass people who don't technically have any sort of religious faith. You know, maybe they'll talk about spirituality in terms of your values of life and your feeling of connectedness with the world. But even the empiricists and even the secularists 
will say you have to have something in your life. You can't just have physical, mental, intellectual, emotional, social. You also need something that we would call spiritual, even if they're defining that in some sort of odd way. But ultimately, we need a progressive spiritual understanding. So I really like these three words, progressive spiritual understanding. So understanding means it's vigyan. It's realized. It's not just a dogma. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a catechism. It's not just, I believe that I am a soul and Krishna is the Supreme Lord and there's karma and reincarnation and you know, that, that's useful, but that's not at the level of understanding. It's not enough. And then it should be a spiritual understanding, which means there's some realization that I'm a soul. There's some realization that I have a relationship with God, even if it's a beginning realization that, oh, okay, I have, I have some service to do for the Lord. I'm part of Him. I have the qualities of His. And then it should be progressive. It's not that you reach a point, you know, you get your Bhakti Shastri degree and, okay, you know, I've got my Bhakti Shastri degree, my Bhakti Vaibhava degree, and now I know everything and I had some far out spiritual experience when I was visiting Mayapur Dham or at the Sadhu Sangha festival and now, you know, I know everything, I'm a pure devotee, Jai Haribo. But it should be progressive. That no matter, uh, Sachin Andamarish one time gave me some excellent advice. He said, always see yourself as a beginner. And I thought that's so enlivening to just think, wow, no matter how much spiritual understanding I have, it's always progressive. I can always understand more and more and more. You know, material things are not like that. You, you reach a point with material things where they get boring. You know, and maybe that takes a few lifetimes. You know, maybe you have to be a musician for five lifetimes or ten lifetimes before, like Robert said about uh, John Lennon, that he had been a, a musician in his previous life. You know, maybe it takes a while before he's like, okay, I've mastered this, now what? You know, you become such a chess champion that you can defeat the computers. <laughs> and after a while, this... this there's always more to learn, but it becomes very, very minor. You know, okay, I mastered that. Now let me go on to something else. So, uh, the spiritual life isn't like that, because even Krishna, Prabhupada says, is always expanding, and then his knowledge is always running to keep up with his own expansion. And Krishna is always learning more and more about himself, because there's unlimitedly more to learn. And, and Krishna is always learning more and more about us, and we can always learn more and more about him. And our love is what we want, isn't it? You know, we, we want to love somebody where we know them really well, but they still have some mysteries. There's still more. I, wow, I'm learning more about you. And where our love for them can keep growing and their love for us can keep growing. And imagine that Krishna wants progressive spiritual understanding. It's not that Krishna says, you know, Armila, I already know everything about you. Boring, boring, boring. You know, but Krishna wants, he wants to be in relationship with another person, even I'm very small, but because he does keep learning more and more things about me. He does find me interesting forever, uh, just like I find him interesting forever. 
So these are our goals that Prabhupada gives here. Yes, we can have a different list of goals. This isn't the only one. But looking at this purport, peace, prosperity, happiness, and progressive spiritual understanding. All right, now how are we going to achieve our goals? So no matter what goals we have, we do well in achieving them to have an actual model. Not just a theoretical model, but a practical model. And such is true, again, when it comes to material things or spiritual things. You know, to have a model. Well, okay, here's someone who's peaceful and they're happy and they're prosperous and they're progressive in their spiritual understanding. I just get the idea. Like like Krishna, in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, he's describing a perfected soul. All right, so he does this and does this, or Krishna's describing the 12th chapter, right? Who's not, one who's not envious, one who's a kind friend to all living entities, who's equal poised in honor and dishonor and fame and infamy and happiness and distress. Okay, that, that sounds good, but how, how do I do that? How, how do I act in such a way to achieve my goals? Well, I have a, somebody who's achieving them or already achieved them. You know, this is our meditation when we chant the Gayatri mantras. The second mantra of meditation on Guru is I'm, I want to be enlivened by the understanding the mood of, of my Guru, by understanding the, the realization of my Guru. I can be enlivened also in that mood. You know, if I want to know how to play tennis, I have a tennis players as my model. If I want to know how to be a great, uh, you know, pianist, then I have pianists as my model. And if I want to know how to be peaceful, prosperous, happy, and have progressive spiritual understanding, then I need people who are doing that to be my models. I need people who exemplify that. Because theory without examples, you know, we say example is better than precept. To some extent, that means that I have to walk my talk. That if I'm saying to do things and I don't set a very good example, my precept will not be very effective. But again, it also makes it concrete. But when I'm looking at the models, not only do I have to have a concrete model in a general way, somebody who's peaceful, prosperous, happy, and in progressive spiritual understanding... But, and here's where we come to the specificity here of the bhupaha and the lokaha sapalaha. I need an example that's relatable. I remember Bhakti Tirta Swami saying that when people come to some place for the first time, they're looking around to see, is there anybody who's at all like me? Is there anybody who's at all like me? And, and this problem, we could say, has been a challenge for us in spreading Krishna consciousness because sometimes at certain centers or temples we may tend to attract a very narrow demographic of people. So if we're if you walk in a Hare Krishna temple and pretty much everybody there is of the same color and around the same age and the same marital status that at all that is different from what you are. You're a different color, you're a different age, you're a different marital status, you're a different economic status. Then it's hard to relate. It's hard to relate. 
right? It's even true if everyone in the temple is, you know, a renunciate and you're with a family or everyone there is with a family, with children and you're single. And then the tendency is to say, well, what you're doing might work for you in your circumstances, but how would it work for me in my circumstances? So it's helpful to, for us to have examples of people who have some, some similarity where we can relate, where it seems relevant to us. I know uh, back in, uh, in the 70s at the old Brooklyn Temple, our family had what was called a hot-off-the-press account. So as soon as a book of Srila Prabhupada was published, or as soon as Prabhupada gave a lecture that was recorded, we would get a copy in the mail. So I was, you know, reading through the Bhagavatams, and I was thinking, I wonder if I'll ever catch up to Srila Prabhupada, you know, trying to read the books uh, as fast as he was translating and producing them. And then Srila Prabhupada took a break from translating the Bhagavatam, and worked on the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And then I also switched in my reading from the Bhagavatam to the Chaitanya Charitamrita, later coming back to the Bhagavatam. And when I moved over to the Chaitanya Charitamrita, I had a very fascinating uh, understanding that, well, I can so much more relate to the people in the Chaitanya Charitamrita than I can to the people in the Bhagavatam. You know, reading in the Bhagavatam about, <laughs> reading, you know, Kardama Muni creates this flying city that can travel in outer space. And he manifests like a thousand servant girls to take care of his wife. And, yeah, I just that uh, don't really relate to that. You know, I can't like sit here and go, okay thousand servants to clean my room and do my laundry and cook for me and I, it doesn't nothing happens I, I look around and the room is still empty and you know I don't know how to take this this house and make it fly to Jupiter I mean that would be kind of cool you know if I could fly to Jupiter and Alpha Centauri and the Pleiades you know and I haven't met anybody who can do that I mean I've met some people who claim they can do that in their subtle body uh, two or three people who have told me that they can travel in their subtle body to other planets and see the local loca mountains and you know I, I don't know if they can do that or not I, I they haven't been able to take me traveling with them <laughs> that might be an interesting experience but my point is this is not my ready experience it's not my ready experience or today in the local Bhagavatam class Bir Krishna Swami was talking about how Kasyapa had uh, uh, these wives who could give birth. They were, they were of course, great demigods. They're not humans, Kasyapa and his wives. And they could give birth to creatures different from themselves. You know, they could give, one wife was giving birth to snakes, and another wife was giving birth to birds. So, you know, I can read these things, and I believe them, and I can feel appreciation for them, but they're not ready examples for me. It's like, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> you know, but when I was reading Chaitanya Charitamrita, I felt like I was reading practically about Iskhan. You know, people living lives very similar to what I was reading, what my own life was. And so, here's what we're finding in today's verse in Purport, is that uh, Vidura, who of course 
had spent most of his life, uh, one could say, as Exatria, that when he renounced, when he left his family, he had put, put down his bow. So he was a fighter, although he was, biologically, he was the son of Vyasadeva and one of the servant girls, uh, you know, a Brahmana father and a Shudra mother, but he was part of the Satria dynasty. And he's talking about the kings, the Bhupaha and the Lokaha Sapalaka, that the, the great earthly kings, the rulers, and the rulers of the planets, these are the people uh, who should hear about Maharaj Prithu. Now, of course, we should all hear about Maharaj Prithu, and we can all hear about Maharaj Prithu again and again and again and again and again. But hearing about Maharaj Prithu is especially helpful for people who are also rulers. As Jiva Prabhupada says here in the purport, his purpose in hearing about Prithu Maharaj over and over again was to set an example for ordinary kings and executive heads we should all be inclined to hear repeatedly about Prithu Maharaj's activities in order to be also in order to also be able to rule over their kingdoms or states very faithfully for these four goals that we've been talking about. So the kings should hear the kings. Of course, today we don't have very many kings. The presidents, the prime ministers, the cabinet members, the legislators, the people in government they should be hearing about Maharaj Prithu and personalities like Maharaj Prithu. And we should be regularly hearing about examples in our, of people who've achieved Krishna consciousness who are relevant and relatable to us. And as Vidura wants such repeated hearing to be part of his regular practice, so we should also have that as our regular practice. And this regular practice spans from the very beginning of Krishna consciousness all the way up through bhava and prema. So the very advanced devotees, they like to hear about people in their same rasa, in their same mood with Krishna. You know, if, one, if someone is a cowherd boy, they want to hear about the other cowherd boys. And if somebody is, you know, I suppose if you're a cow, you want to hear about the cows. And, you know, it, but in this world, in, as, a, as a sadhaka, it's good for us to hear about devotees to whom we can relate, where they have some service, some way of living that resonates with us, and we can see, oh, oh, this is how it's done, this is how it's done. But, of course, when we're hearing about these great personalities, such hearing is efficacious not just in the way that someone who wants to be an Olympic athlete can hear stories about other athletes to inspire them. But when we're hearing about these great devotees, it also purifies our heart of all of our material designations, even if we're hearing about a devotee with a similar material designation. It, it brings us to this higher platform and it pleases the Lord, who then, out of his mercy, Rigyantasta Abhadrani, removes... The, the difficulty from the heart shows us the truth so that uh, we can, as Prabhupada would say, or Krishna says, then we'll never again, that we see the truth and we never again would be in illusion. So our regular practice should be to hear about exemplary devotees, especially exemplary devotees with whom we can relate, that inspire us. And this of course, should be from the Bhagavatam, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the biographies written about Srila Prabhupada, and, and contemporary devotees who are exemplary and relatable to us. 
And also, we should get these books to the world. We should get these books to the world. You know, we want to solve the problems of the world. We want the world to be full of peace, prosperity, happiness, and progressive spiritual understanding. And one of the prime ways of doing that is to distribute these books. I know it's a little difficult right now in the pandemic, uh, but devotees are being able to start to go out. But some way that we can distribute this knowledge, distribute these books, uh, distribute classes about these books, uh, get this information out to the people in general, dramas, puppet shows. Anyway, that we can get people to have these role models you know, often the role models, the exemplars, the people that people are meditating on in the world are not people that are full of peace, prosperity, happiness, and progressive spiritual understanding. Often they're full of people, they're people who are full of anxiety or anger. Uh, they have an impoverished life, and I don't, just, I don't mean technically, externally, but uh, their, their life is, is not satisfying to them. They're not happy. And they're very meager spiritual understanding. These are often the examples, the models in society. So we should find them for ourselves as our regular practice and find a way to get this out to the people in general. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, chastisements. Okay, just a moment, Mataji, while I'm setting this up. It's funny, every week when we start the question and answer session, a little notice pops up on my screen saying that the question and answer session is over. Oh, really? Yeah. As soon as we, as soon as we start it, every week it, this thing has popped up. That's really funny. No, people are definitely unmuted. Yeah, I don't know why that always happens. Okay, any questions? I'll try to think that nobody else is Sure, sure. Um, I guess one thought that crossed my mind when you talking about religiosity and how... Import how we, we don't feel fulfilled without that. We can have everything else, but that spiritual component is so important. But I was thinking that also that's listed as one of the material desires as well, um, Artha, Moksha, Karma, and Dharma. Yes. And I was, um, I was actually just l- looking through the, the database a little bit and seeing some things that Prabhupada was saying. And as he was, the chest, he was mentioning that that Vyasadeva got chastised because the Vedas were mostly Artha, Moksha, Kama, and Dharma. Yes. So, so, but but even, even, you know, those that have some religious component that may not be, I guess you use the term progressive a lot, that isn't really spiritually progressive, at least it's, you know, it, it is some start. We can definitely see that it's, it's there, and, and of course until we come in contact with a, with a pure devotee or someone with real knowledge and that religion kind of like becomes awakened to, to real religiosity rather than the perverted reflection of material religiosity. Hmm. Um, I, I think Srila Prabhupada's really given us a, 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 the key to, to real religiosity and real spirituality, isn't it? Definitely. So. Definitely, absolutely. 
you know, we, we don't. I guess the point, on, uh, the, point on, the point I guess I was making is that it's like it's like a perverted reflection. Yes. That, that never that will never really satisfy. We know real religion means, and, and Prophet says, real religion means to 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 understand our our real constitutional position. Yes, nothing else will really satisfy. But you see that people have the urge, even right. if it's. Um, even if it's reflected in, in some funny way. Like so, so many churches now that are that become very, very successful, where people come in and they, they worship God, I guess, which is a start for so many material things. And as we know in Bhagavad Gita, which says, Chapter of there's four different types of people who come, and one of those that are, that they, they're coming, they're looking for something material. But I guess in the beginning, that's okay, at least if they're approaching God for it. Well, not only is it okay, but it's almost inevitable. Mm. So it's, it's pretty much inevitable that when people first come to Krishna consciousness, they're looking for, for something other than Krishna prema. That I mean, was certainly true in my case. I, I think it's, it's, it's practically speaking inevitable. To expect that people coming to Krishna consciousness are coming to look for Krishna Prema, actually Krishna Prema in the beginning, may be something very, very rare. And even, even for most of us to kind of move our desires from I want to be materially happy or I don't want material distress or, you know, I just want to understand things and have my curiosity satisfied or... You know, I want to I want to go from a place of Brahman realization to know God. To go from there to wanting prema, generally for us it takes some time. Some negotiation with our heart. Uh, we had one anonymous person ask me if I could pray for them to have hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't have hundreds of millions of dollars, so I don't know if those my prayers would be effective <laughs> in that in that respect. Maybe you have to ask somebody else. Um, if they'd be the person who asked that, maybe. Maybe you ask somebody who, uh, who has that. Does anyone else have any questions? Okay. I like uh, you were using the word static. Yes. As opposed to dynamic. Yes. And spiritual understanding. I kind of like that. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I really picked up on Prabhupada's use of this word progressive. Progressive spiritual understanding. That was your focus, right? Yes. Well, I focused on on all four that Prabhupada mentions here. Peace, prosperity, happiness, and progressive spiritual understanding. And with the fact that we need an example. We need an example. We need a relevant example. The kings of the world need a relevant example. And we need relevant examples. Anybody else? Any question? Thank you so much. I just wanted to say that when I was in the hospice, I also noticed that people with the atheists who don't believe in God at all, they usually had a very difficult time passing away. Mm. And the ones with at least even a little bit of faith in God, and they were more peaceful. I noticed that. Ah, yes. 
Yes, there's, there's so much evidence that if people have some kind of spirituality, some kind of, of faith in, in divinity in, in some form, that they're much, they're much more satisfied in life. And there's, so as I say, even, even secularists and, and even just psychologists will talk about the importance of having something spiritual, although they may not be able to identify it. All right, well, thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shri Prabhupada.